You're listening to the Valley Labor Report with Jacob Morrison. Good evening, Tennessee Valley. This is the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison, here with my co-host and fellow agitator, Adam Keller. It is Wednesday, August 11th, 2021, and we are broadcasting live online from Spice Radio in Huntsville, Alabama. And tonight, we are talking about the continued media unionization wave, Shapiro's hot take on unions and productivity, and linking up with the North Alabama School for Organizers in their fireside chat with local activist Catherine Herford. Uh, so if you want to see what we're up to throughout the week when we're not doing these midweek streams, you ought to follow us on social media. We are on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Valley Labor Report. We are on Twitter at Labor Reporters. I'm on Twitter at Jacob M underscore AL. If you missed part of the show and want to go back and watch it later, you can search YouTube for the Valley Labor Report and subscribe to our channel. You can go back and watch the full show there and and we upload uh, segments and release them throughout the week. We do upload the program on more than 11 different podcasting apps. So to see uh, if we are on your listening platform of choice, you can go to thevalleylaborreport.transistor.fm slash subscribe. We have a website now where you can buy our hats and stickers. That is thevalleylaborreport.org. And we have one hat left. We had somebody buy a hat last week, and we've got one left. So if you want it, you better go get it. TheValleyLaborReport.org. That is $35, including shipping and handling. And finally, if you appreciate our work and you want to help us stay on the air, then consider throwing us a couple dollars a month on Patreon.com slash TheValleyLaborReport. Uh, so what we wanted to talk about tonight, in addition to talking to local activist uh, Catherine Herford with the folks over at the North Alabama School for Organizers, is, uh, you know, we wanted to experiment with maybe some some more online type content when we're just going to be online, right? That makes sense. And one of the things that is happening right now is that tech workers at... Uh, tech workers at the New York Times are in a union fight, and uh, the staff at Politico are also in a union fight. And there's there's some some fun reactions from uh, at least one person on the right about that. But let's let's talk about the situations first, so that we have an understanding of what's going on. Uh, at at the New York Times, uh, they are m- many. Uh, uh, they have. They have been in a union fight there, and the tech workers have joined the union fight. And the latest uh, kerfuffle, the latest like uh, uh, you know battle uh, battle in, in the war uh, for these tech workers has been over the bargaining unit and the definition of the bargaining unit specifically of course that's not why they're organizing you know they're we've talked to the media unionization wave has been all across the country in all sorts of publications and we've talked to a few people about that we've talked to people at the appeal union uh people at uh the new yorker we talked to the interim organizing director for the new york news guild who uh of which this campaign is a part and uh, uh but 
the definition of the bargaining unit is something interesting and something that you see in every union fight, whether or not it's a media union fight. And in fact, it is something that we saw here in Amazon, here in Alabama at the Amazon fight. Initially, the union uh, was only petitioning to represent the 1,500 full-time employees at the Amazon facility. They have lots. They have, in fact, thousands of seasonal workers and part-time workers that it, uh, in some ways, just doesn't really make sense for them to be a part of the union. And so, in the same way that politicians want to gerrymander districts to make it so that it benefits them, the the politicians want to pick their voters instead of the voters picking their politicians. The bosses want to pick the bargaining units instead of uh, the bargaining units themselves organizing uh, uh on their own and deciding how they want their bargaining unit defined. And so in the Amazon fight, what we saw was an expansion of the bargaining unit by the, uh, uh, by the boss to make it more difficult to organize, uh, to make it more difficult for the workers to organize. And you see, you see both, both things happening. You see bosses expanding the bargaining unit and you see uh, bosses decreasing the bargaining unit uh, whenever it benefits them. It's not because it makes sense or it doesn't. It's just what is going to give more power to the boss. In Bessemer, Alabama, it gave more power to the boss to expand the bargaining unit to make the union less likely. At the New York Times, what's happening is the boss is decreasing the bargaining unit because they know that the union will win. The new, uh, the news guild, uh, the New York News Guild has not lost an election in years. Uh, the, the, the bargaining unit that has been proposed by the workers has already, they already have 70% of the bargaining unit signing a public pledge to support the union, okay? This union is going to win. So in order to give more power to themselves as the boss, the New York Times is artificially decreasing the uh, the bargaining unit, and their proposed bargaining unit is a third less than, uh, than what the employees themselves believe makes sense. And so why would you do that? Why would you want to decrease the size of the bargaining, bargaining unit? That's because if you know the union is going to win, the election is going to go through, and there's going to be a union at the end of it, you want it as small as possible because uh, the less workers that you have bargaining against you, the less leverage they have. It's obvious that that's the reason that collective bargaining works is because the more you know you have collectively coming together, the more power you have. The reason that it made sense down in Bessemer for them to expand it is because the expansion made the union less likely to win, right? Does that make sense, Adam? I think I'm making sense. I don't know. Yes, you're making sense. Okay. <laughs> I just <laughs> I so, sometimes I want I wanted to make sure that 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 I was that I was making sense. I rambled for a little bit. So that's that's what the latest dust up in the in in, in the union battle at, at the New York Times is about. And over that which the the employees there actually contend is illegal union busting on the part of the New York Times, uh they staged a half a day walkout 
today, which is just, I mean, that that is really, really cool. Uh, and so they walked off the job for half a day, uh, asserting their right to a union, asserting their right to self-organization free of coercion and intimidation and gerrymandering by the boss. And, you know, more power to them, solidarity with them. Uh, I hope they're able to get the bargaining unit that they, that they believe that they deserve or they believe makes the most sense. And this is actually, uh, I mean, yet again, here's another reason that the PRO Act is so important, because uh, the PRO Act would take the boss totally out of bargaining unit definition. Because unions are really, at their base, they are supposed to be worker self-organization. What the boss says doesn't matter. Now, what the boss says matters when it comes to contract negotiations, when it comes to what are they willing or not willing to give up. But when it comes to how are we going to actually define the bargaining unit, it shouldn't matter what the boss says. The workers should be able to self-organize however they see fit. And currently the law gives the boss way too much power in that process, and the PRO Act would take that away. Um, so so the, it, the, it's another reason that it's so important for the PRO Act to pass is because it make it would make battles like this, it would, it would be one more thing that the union, that the workers don't have to worry about. Um, and uh, another, uh, I mean, there's just so many of these media unionization stories, and Politico is another one of them that they have, uh, they have organized to... Um, uh, to form a union there at Politico. And uh, Axios reported on the ostensible reasons why these workers are seeking to unionize. And I'm a bit, I'm a bit skeptical at their reporting because their reporting makes it out like, and I don't, I don't doubt that this has some part, some, some part to do with it, but their reporting makes it out like the main reason that these workers are organizing is over editorial decisions that have been made by Politico. Uh, namely, the, uh, namely, the, the guest writing of Politico's Insider Playbook or whatever by Ben Shapiro last year. Axios, Axios is reporting by two people. Now let's, let's also remember who they're getting this reporting from. <laughs> it was by two people who are not in favor of the union effort. Uh, that does make a difference. <laughs> yeah, right, right. It depends on, it, you know, it makes a difference who you're getting your reporting from. These, the reporting that Axios put out was not from pro-union employees, which is not to say that, you know, anti-union employees are always are, are um, you know, always bad actors or whatever. Sometimes they're just misinformed. But um, these two anti-union employees made it out like the primary reason was editorial decisions, especially uh, Ben Shapiro writing for Politico, which if you know, I mean, if you've listened to our coverage and if you've, if you've actually looked at the facts on the ground about what these media companies are putting their workers for, I'm highly suspicious of that because at the New Yorker, at the New Yorker magazine, which, I don't know, it seems like a much more prestigious institution than Politico, in my mind, but maybe I'm wrong. Their starting salary was $40,000 before they got their new union contract. I mean, $40,000 in New York City. I mean, that's insane. So I, I am very, very reluctant to believe that the only reason... Uh, Politico staffers are unionizing is because of editorial decisions. But but 
they should have a say over editorial decisions too because they're the ones doing the work so they should have a say over who uh, who who they platform you know i mean it's it should be a collective it should be a democratic decision not just the person at the top who owns politico by virtue of having come into wealth right the people who actually do the work should have some democratic say over what goes in to the thing that they produce i think that's reasonable yeah and i was just going to say uh i totally agree with you i think that's pretty far-fetched to think that that is the main rationale for unionizing uh but i do hope that it does improve the editorial aspect to not just politico but new york times and all these other media organizations that's one of the exciting things about it is maybe by these journalists and other media workers getting some worker power that you know may increase their coverage of worker issues maybe even their sympathy to worker issues Absolutely. One would hope so. And so the reason that I said that about or, or one of the reasons that I, I said that about Ben Shapiro is because uh, he that him him being made aware of this Axios reporting uh, led to a pretty hot take about what unions do to businesses. So, Adam, if you could play that for us. Sure. Hold on one second. Let's get this goofball queued up here. <laughs> All right. An update on. So, yesterday, Axios reported that Politico's newsroom is now attempting to unionize with, with, with the News Guild. Okay, so this means that Politico's staff apparently are now joining, like, the New York Times and a bunch of other left-wing publications to unionize, which is usually really bad for business. It usually it means that you are artificially increasing the labor rate. It means that you are artificially increasing benefits, it means that you're costing the company more money, which generally tends to remove from the bottom line and crimp growth. Right? This is why so many private sector unions have basically dismantled at this point. All right, yeah, that's that's all we need to hear. Um, so, Adam, if uh, <laughs> you said that you could vamp on that for a bit, well, I mean, I what mean, are some of your initial thoughts? I, I have some, I've got some stuff queued up here, but but what are your like initial thoughts? Well, the, hearing the, that. you know, the thing that stood out to me is artificial. What the right. hell makes it artificial? Right. Um, you know, workers negotiating with management for a fair contract, that seems about as real as you can get. What's artificial is someone by virtue of their wealth, you know, owns the company and can just dictate at will. So, that, I mean, that's just asinine to even use the word artificial. That makes no mm-hmm. sense to me. Yeah. What what stuck out to me, there there were a couple of things. Um, the crimping, he's, you know, he mentioned uh, that it decreases productivity, decreases efin- efficiency. Lies. Uh, crimps growth. And so, I mean, well, there, there's a few things there. So, like, one embedded in that, like, unions are bad because they decrease productivity. So there's an assumption there that productivity is kind of uberales, right? That productivity is one of the first and foremost things that companies should be striving for. And I think that that's, that's like an assumption that we should complicate. You know, if, if it makes a business a bit less productive, if it makes it a bit less efficient to, uh, uh, for workers to be able to have safe conditions for them to be able to make enough money to feed their family then that's then i'm fine with that right like i have i have absolutely no pro- like i'm i you know productivity for a company is not my first concern it my first concern is for the workers and their families and their communities um so i think that's something that's an assumption that we should that 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 we should think critically about uh but the then 
the assertion, his factual statement, uh, does not make sense either. Because if you actually, you know, he said, like, he builds on that implicit assumption by act, by saying outright that unions hurt productivity, that unions hurt efficiency, and they crimp growth. And I mean, that's just on an anecdotal level. And then I, I have more, uh, more on top of that, but on an anecdotal level, you know, David was part of the show for a very long time and he still, he still helps us out in the background sometimes. He works at ULA and they have a 100% launch success rate. ULA does. That is a 100% union manu- manufactured in Alabama rocket ship. Okay, and <laughs> I mean uh, that they have a 100% success rate. Uh, SpaceX doesn't have that. Uh, you know, Blue Origin doesn't have that. These, are, this is a, uh, and and those are both non-union enterprises. But ULA, a union enterprise, has a 100% launch success rate. Uh, and so, you know, and 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 one thing that they will point to is the UAW and the Big Three and how oh, Toyotas are better cars than the Big Three automakers. And you know, like I'm not a car guy, like I, but but let's say let's say for the sake of argument that that's true, that Toyota is a better car than a Ford. I, I'm willing to accept that. Uh, it's not the workers who, the workers unfortunately at Ford do not own the means of production unless, uh, something's happened since I last checked. Has it, Adam? I, my understanding is that they don't. Uh, not that I'm aware of, though I would certainly love to hear that news. If, uh, any Ford workers right. do take over, please let us know. Yeah. And, and so, you know, it's not them that are ultimately making these production decisions. It's them that are bargaining over benefits and, uh, and, and working conditions. But the, the right. production decisions are still made by the boss. And we know that, and, and so for another. They don't source the materials. Right. I, I mean, they don't necessarily even make the design of the product but let's go to another uh let's go to another american uh company john deere john deere contrary to you know in contrast to ford john deere is kind of like the top the top of the line lawnmower right if you you know you want a good lawnmower you get a john deere you want a good tractor you get a john deere john deere is union made by the uaw and the steelworkers the same damn union that makes ford Okay, so uh, and and also there have been there have been studies, surveys of what what unions do to productivity and efficiency. And in fact, there's a lot of evidence to suggest that it increases productivity, especially in certain sectors, uh, because when you have workers and, 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 you know, there was a lot of evidence actually that came out during the pandemic about uh, workers when they were able to receive uh, when they received bonuses and the stimulus checks, low wage, low wage workers receiving the stimulus checks actually became more productive because when you have when you're living paycheck to paycheck when you have all of these all of these things riding on you all of the time am i going to be able to pay this or that or or take care of this or that it makes you less productive it makes you less productive and so you know being able to uh uh being able to have a secure income being able to have safe working conditions makes you more productive on an intuitive level and the studies have seemed to 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 bear that out and so you know the assumption there is wrong that productivity is the best thing the thing that we should always be striving for but also unions the unions have not been shown to uh by and large decrease productivity and efficiency they do uh, in some cases decrease profits 
What does that mean? That just means it decreases the take-home pay of the people at the very top and redistributes that to the people who actually do the work. Okay, so that's good. As far as I'm concerned, that's a good thing. And uh, so, so anyway, unions are good, uh, and they don't hurt productivity. And Ben Shapiro is a is a dum dum. So that's uh, that. <laughs> that's all I've got to say about that, Adam. Unless you have any anything else that you wanted to add before we switch over to talking to Catherine. No, I think I think you hit it 100. Uh, percent Ben is very much a dum dum, and like you said, if there is some sacrifice in productivity at any point, it is probably because they're actually trying to protect workers' safety and health and well-being, which is a totally reasonable decision to make. Yeah, absolutely. All right, folks, we're going to go to a break while we get our Zoom set up with the North Alabama. School for Organizers and local activist Catherine Herford. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. All right, Catherine, would you like to read the, the mission statement? Yes. My name is Catherine Herford, and I am here representing the North Alabama School for Organizers, an organization that I'm very proud to be a part of. And our mission is to empower communities through intersectional education and training to form coalitions that take progressive action toward progressive change. And um, that's really cool because that's something that I wanna talk a lot about is a lot of the, um, the organizations that we have coalitions with and the progressive action that we're all taking. So thank you very much for having me here tonight. Boy, thanks for being here. Catherine is our, also one of our vice presidents and co-founder uh, of of NASO, and we're, we're really fortunate to have Catherine here. Uh, as you can see, this is a very informal type chat, and uh, anyone at any time can ask questions whenever they want. And uh, Catherine has been very, very involved in, 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 in several, you know, community actions and organizations and uh, and I think what we one of them that was very it's very important that we wanted to talk about and discuss is the the Jeffrey Parker uh, murder, and we want to talk about the uh, just the arrogance I think and of the uh, of, of the Huntsville Police Department and our City Council. And uh, Catherine, um, could you give us a little background on that? Uh, sure. Uh, Jeffrey Parker was my neighbor. He actually lives only a block away from me. Of course, my cat wants to come hang out now. He lives only he he lived only a block away from me. So he was um, murdered by uh, William Ben Darby of Huntsville Police Department in 2018. And um, he was he had called the police for help because he was feeling suicidal. And um, I have a, a long history of working um, for the, the Mental Health Center of Madison County. I worked with um, a lot of people who were frequently suicidal. And I know that if you're calling for help, you know, there's an element of um, attention seeking there. And you, you want some you, you need a little bit of attention. You want someone to help you. He if he, you know, was hell bent on destruction, he wouldn't have made that call for help. And so Jeffrey Parker called for help and an officer named Janisha Pegues um, answered the call. She was the first on the scene and she successfully de-escalated with Jeffrey Parker for about a half an hour and um, was processing with him why he was feeling suicidal 
And she also had backup there. There was another officer, um, Beckles, I believe his name is, uh, was second on the scene. And um, they were, he, he had her back and they were successfully de-escalating the situation where Jeffrey Parker was suicidal. She asked him um, if he planned on shooting her, uh, something along those lines, I don't want to misquote, but, but he said, no, he was only a threat to himself. She was very comfortable that he was not a threat to her and she was partially covered in the doorway. Um, so she did not have her weapon pointing at him, which you know is not something that you really wanna do if you're trying to deescalate a situation. So she was following what I think any reasonable person would consider protocol and doing her job in, in the correct way. But uh, William Darby, who was not supposed to answer the call, um, I guess heard on the radio, showed up um, to the scene and got out of his car, basically screaming, point your fucking gun at him, got his shotgun out of the trunk of his car, walked into the house, uh, pointed at Jeff Parker and within 11 seconds of being in the house, shot Jeff Parker in the face. So luckily um, the two other officers you know, made it pretty clear from the beginning that Darby was in the wrong and that they had the situation under control. There was no reason for him to behave like that. Now, the the district attorney, um, who normally ha- has let a lot of other cases of bel- police brutality slide, along with a, a grand jury, decided to indict Darby, which is unprecedented as far as I know. And so, you know, if if DA Rob Broussard thinks it's bad. It's pretty egregious. And so not only did a, a grand jury and the DA indict Darby, but uh, the jury found him guilty a few months ago. So when this went to trial, and it wasn't a, a hard decision because they had seen the, um, the body camera footage. And the body camera footage tells you exactly what happened. And it was pretty clear cut. I don't think that I heard about any of the jurors having a tough time deliberating. They didn't deliberate for a long time. So so it's a clear cut case. And I want to say that like, I'm a little bit ashamed because this wasn't on my radar at first, even only happening a block away from me. I heard about it. I knew that it happened, but the police and the media do a great job of making it seem like nothing to see here. This man was in the wrong and we shot him because we had to, he was a threat to us which was not the case at all. And I wouldn't have known, even in spite of um, a really good reporting at the time by Ashley Reemkes. I'm not sure if I'm mispronouncing her name. I hope not, because she's, she's a goddess, but she um, has done some excellent reporting from, from the beginning about this case. But I just wasn't privy to it. And it wasn't until, um, uh, I can't remember when it was, but it was after... Dana Fletcher had been murdered in Madison by the Madison police. And I became involved with protesting with the family and I was paying close attention to that. And one of the issues was body camera footage. And so um, not too long after Dana had been murdered, I, uh, my neighbor's house burned down. And so right down the street from me, my neighbor's house burned down and I was um, observing on our neighborhood Facebook page, what was going on. And so her son, the lady um, whose house burned down, her son had posted a GoFundMe. And so I went to his Facebook page really to before I donated to the GoFundMe. And I, it's something I kind of do like 
make sure these people aren't racist before I donate money to them is kind of what I was thinking. So I was scrutinizing his Facebook page and I came across a post that he made and he was the son of my neighbor and, and he's Michelle, who um, is, is Jeff, was Jeff Parker's partner. Um, so he's the son of, of he, he, like the, the, his mother was Jeff Parker's girlfriend's fiance. And so he told the story from his point of view in this Facebook post, and I never knew the side of it because he had seen the body camera footage and the body camera mm -hmm. footage is the key. So what's interesting is that Tommy Battle had seen the body camera footage uh, back then when, when this first happened, even you know the grand jury indicted, but Tommy Battle still convinced the city council to pay for William Darby's defense and keep him on the payroll as a, as a Huntsville Police Department employee, but to pay for his defense out of city money, out of our tax dollars. Now, already a big part of our city budget goes to police. And I don't know if you guys are like me in that you haven't seen a return on that investment. And, and I have have definitely had some good experiences with police officers. Um, I, I've, I've been very lucky. I know that I have a lot of uh, privilege when it comes to the way that I talk and the way that I look, um, but I, I haven't had a lot of bad experiences with police officers, but I know that when I was sexually assaulted, the police didn't help me, Huntsville Police Department. Not only did they not help me, but they were cruel to me. And I know that when my house was broken into and all my things were stolen, Huntsville Police Department didn't help find the perpetrators, return any of my things, even though there is a retired officer that lived across the street and his um, niece watched my house getting robbed, but none of them did anything. So it's, I'm a little salty already that so much of our city budget goes to police, but then we're paying on top of, of a police department that's not really solving crimes, that's locking up a disproportionate amount of black people for petty things like marijuana, um, it's, that's already how our tax dollars are getting spent for policing. But on top of that, you're going to pay for his defense. And, and, and Tommy Battle had seen the body camera footage, so he knew how egregious this was. He knew that, that Darby was definitely in the wrong. Every other thinking, feeling person knew that he was wrong. But for some reason, Tommy Battle decided to support him. And I'm not sure what that is. I mean, I don't... I don't know what to call it, but to me, it seems evil. Um, and so not only did, did he pay for our defense and convince the city council to get on board with that, which is a decision that I hope most of them regret, uh, out of the five city council people at the time, only one person voted against it. And that was Will Culver. He's uh, district five, he's our district, but he didn't vote against it because he didn't believe in supporting police officers in situations like these. In fact, I think that he wanted a fund, he wanted to um, designate a fund to pay for this type of thing as, as like a whole, a whole procedure in place. So, and he was a former police officer too. So I don't necessarily think that his vote, his heart was in the right place, but I hope that the other city council members who are still city council members regret this decision. Cause I think it's a abhorrent, disgusting decision. And I, it's a misappropriation of our funds. And I just, 
I would love to see my tax dollars going to help people with mental illnesses. That's something that I'm very passionate about. I would love for us all to have health care. I think that that is something that we should all be demanding. But but the using this money to, to we're we're paying the police to brutalize us, you know, and it's just and e even if it's not happening to us, it's not something that's happened to me personally, but I can see it happening to my brothers and sisters and and it's not right. <clears throat> so that was a long uh, explanation of what happened. I'm not sure if I left anything out that needs to be um, addressed. Oh, so after um, after Darby was found guilty, our police chief and our mayor doubled and tripled down in support for him. And I can't, I, it's, it's just disgusting to me because it's disrespectful to Jeffrey Parker's memory, to his family. It's disrespectful to Janisha Pegues and, and Officer Beckles. Uh, who I, I believe they both left the police department, by the way. So, mm. you know, when they say that there are, are no good cops, you know, we had two that were, were seemed pretty good, but of course they got ran off by being thrown under the bus, by being sent to remedial training. Um, they acted like she was the one who didn't act uh, within protocol, that she was somehow acting against training, but she was covered William Darby pushed her inside where she wasn't covered anymore in order to shoot Jeff Parker. So, you know, that cannot be protocol, even though Tommy Battle and Chief McMurray swear that what what he did was was justified. If that's what our protocol calls for, it needs to change immediately. That's ridiculous. You know, running into somebody's house screaming and shooting them in the face with a shotgun should never be anything that is is. You know, we, we can't pretend that's okay. And we have got to change the culture. Like this is our, this is where we're starting from right now. If, if, if the people in charge think that this is the way we should be policed, you know, a million things need to change. Yeah. Well, you know, I have a, I, I have a theory uh, about why, you know, Tommy Gunn, Tommy and the, the fascist uh, police chief, um, you know, want to cover this thing up is because, first of all, they're racist. Secondly, they're fascist. Um, and, 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 and thirdly, um, you've seen this over and over. You know, I saw it in Chicago and other cities that they want to cover up these types of murders because, you know, and especially here in Huntsville, because they're all about getting business into Huntsville. Hmm. You know, they're all about getting people in, you know, uh, and showing people how great this, this city is, how peaceful this city is, and something like that, you know, certainly I would think uh, would, would cause some of these businesses or industry or whatever to uh, question you know, this motive. And, and so they want to cover those things up. Uh, and it just uh, appears to me that that they have no, you know, uh, respect for life. They have no, certainly no respect for people of color. 
They have no respect for the poor that we've seen, you know, and the way that they evicted the poor and, and, and treated the poor as just uh, lower than second-class citizens. Well, some additional. And so I think this is probably one of the reasons. I don't know all the other reasons, but I would think that that would tarnish uh, their reputation in this beautiful Diamond City. And then I have uh, also reported this to uh, the Democracy Today, uh, Freedom Speech TV, in hopes that they would investigate this. And I think if we get enough people to petition them, they might come in and actually do it, you know, because this is something that they need to do. Yeah, yeah I, I think that we're in a state of crisis here. If this is if this is our leadership and they feel like this is how we should be policed and we have a high rate of of police murdering citizens, you know, more than uh, Birmingham and Montgomery combined. Huntsville murders more of its citizens than both of those major cities here in Alabama. We have um, more disparity in the way that we uh, arrest people. If you look at the crime map for, um, you know, where people are arrested, it's all taking place on the north side. You can see that the, the citizens of the north side are being targeted and harassed. Um, and it's and you're definitely onto something like the the, the culture of, of policing. There's there's a lack of respect for life. Um, there's a there's this shoot first, ask questions later. And I, I think I think not just in policing. I think in our society we have we we are, we're violently indoctrinated, and and everybody is like scared to give or take an ass whooping. Everybody wants to shoot. You know, like it's just I. I I don't understand it personally. I'm not that afraid of anyone to where I'm going to walk around with a gun that, you know, is, is more likely to hurt me. Hmm. Statistically speaking, you know, it doesn't make me safer. It actually makes me in more danger. So I understand yeah. the statistics, but, and I don't fault anybody who, who does feel safer. There are lots of reasons that, that you might want to um, protect yourself. But I do think that we have like a culture problem here for sure. Um, and, it, but, 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 amplified in policing because because they um believe that that you owe them deference and respect and any slight that they perceive you know puts you in danger any any miscommunication puts you in danger there's they have there's these split second moments that they have to make decisions and it's often you know a, a deadly decision especially here in Huntsville seems to happen you know I mean I could and, and I will, you know, name a lot of the cases I want to talk about. A lot of the families that I've gotten to know here who are amazing people who are suffering over, you know, nonsense. Um, really quickly, if I could add some context to the Jeffrey Parker stuff before you go on to some of the other cases. Um, I know that uh, I'm I'm probably the only one here that is willing to regularly subject myself to listening to the Dale Jackson show, uh, but I do. And uh, after the mayor and the police chief came out with their statements about that, even Dale Jackson came out. Now, of course, you know, it was in a pretty conciliatory tone, but he was like, I don't know why you would do this. This is wrong. Like, like, it seems by like by all counts that this you know that the, it, it's not like there he he was like this guy committed murder like why would you come out in support of a murderer and when you have Dale Jackson coming out and attacking you for being like 
attacking you kind of from the left, but from a more left position, from a more kind of humane and justice centered position, as opposed to a as opposed to invoking law and order uh back the blue rhetoric you know i think that that should really trigger some uh some introspection on on the beha- on on the behalf of uh, mcmurray and battle because uh you know Dale Jackson is not somebody that is generally sympathetic to these types of causes. I mean, in conversations that I've had with him, he thinks that we need to lock more people up in prison. He thinks that we need to have more police funding instead of less. He thinks that, you know, I I mean, it's just like he is on the wrong side of every issue when it comes to criminal justice and policing in this country. And uh, for <laughs> for him to be looking at you and saying, like, okay, man, you're going a little too far. Like, you, re- it should really trigger some, like, oh, man, I wonder, like, where I went wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The bar yeah. is in hell if, if you, you know, Dale Jackson is, is more, is, has the moral high grounds. <laughs> yeah. And all you have to do is look back at the uh, – George Floyd uh, protest where you saw a police riot. I mean, these guys, I saw the police riot in Chicago in 68. A lot of similarities there. Uh, You know, the whole police culture is, you know, if you don't do what I say, well, damn it, I'm going to make you do what I say. Right. And and they're going to do it at almost any cost. And for those of us that were there, they got tear gassed. You know, uh, got roughed up and stuff like that. You know, it was just just a matter of them trying to exert their force and, you know, trying to bully, you know, uh, people into in, in doing what they want. Nobody was bothering anybody, you know. And it's like you're saying with this with Jeffrey Parker, he, he wasn't bothering anybody. You know, he was not a threat to anybody but himself. You know, but the whole culture is let's let's just go in and and pull out our six shooters and start blasting. Right. And And, and and that's that's what they do. And I want to talk for a second about Dana Fletcher, because, um, you know, in in Madison, when he was shot in 2019 by MPD, his wife was working out in Planet Fitness. And I've I've heard different stories. The police won't release the 911 call or the alleged 911 call. We don't even know because we've never heard it. But um, I think that he maybe took some pictures of people inside of um, Planet Fitness. And that's the most like illegal-ish thing that I have. I don't even know if that's illegal, um, honestly. But but like that was his infraction that cost him his life. Now, someone called the police on him and they came to his car where he was with his wife and daughter and they they broke the windows, pulled his wife and daughter out of the car, tased him, sicked a dog on him and shot him. And um, they alleged that he had a gun. His wife told a different story as soon as it happened. And they showed some a still shot that kind of looked like he had a gun, kind of. Um, and again, you know, the, the police and the media can do a good job of making it seem like nothing happened, nothing to see here. This person was in the wrong and, and more or less deserved to die. But there is a, a, a vast overreaction if, if you're sending five officers for someone taking a picture in a Planet Fitness. You know, you're already 
they're, they're already messing up and they can't even admit that mistakes were made. The Madison Police Department wanted to reward those officers who were involved with the ceremony until the public found out about it. And then they, they retracted that and they probably still rewarded them some way that we don't know about. But it, it's, it's, it's a lot like the situation in Huntsville. If you can't even admit that mistakes are made, mm. mistakes were made there and that things need to be differently, then how are we ever going to make progress towards a more peaceful society? I mean, this is uncivilized. This is, this is not, um, it's certainly not what Jesus taught. If you're into that type of thing, like it's, it's not the way that we should be treating other human beings. And it's certainly not the way that we should be treating citizens who are paying to be protected and served, you know? And so, so in Madison, they can't even admit there's a problem with the Dana Fletcher case. They won't show the body camera footage. And this is why we have to um, get some body camera laws on the books. There are, in a lot of states, there are no laws. A lot of places have, have spent a lot of money on these body cameras that really the footage is just the property of the police department. And what's the point of that? You know, they can use it to protect them, but we're not able to see the footage to protect us or to, you know, to, to, yeah. and all that's on the, the footage is the truth. Every American, every citizen should be able to get behind the truth. People that are obscuring the truth, withholding the truth, those are the the dirty bastards you know like if it, there's there's truth and transparency and i wish we could all agree that those things are good you know there's there's accountability and justice and we should want those things as americans but we allow our government to to prevent us from actually having those things while pretending that we're so free and it's you know how, how free is it you know if alberto rivas who was shot by huntsville police at his home um, he was asleep. His wife was asleep. She rolled over on her phone, accidentally called 911. They got the call. She realized and said, you know, that it was a you know, false alarm, but they still sent officers out. Alberto Rivas opened the door with his gun in his hands and was shot by HPD. Now, first of all, you know, who told your scary ass to be a cop if you are, you know, do we have do we have Second Amendment rights or not? Does he have right. the right to 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 have a gun in his home or not? And and can't you expect if you go to someone's house in the middle of the night and wake them up that maybe that's the time that they should answer the door with their gun? Like if you have a gun, when else but then to actually have it with you when strangers come to your door in the middle of the night and you don't know why? So again, you know, the freedom thing, how free are we really? Do we really have the right to bear arms? Do black people have the right to bear arms? Or is that, you know, mostly reserved for white people? The refusal to release the body cam footage, it seems to me, is the most revealing thing. I can't think of any reason why they wouldn't want to release the body camera footage in the in the instance of uh, Dana Fletcher in Madison. I mean, like you said, there was a still image that looked like it, it, it does look like a gun to me, uh, but. You know, we don't know what the circumstances were leading up to that still being taken. And it seems to me that if the circumstances leading up to that are exculpatory for the police, they would want the public to see that uh, to, to uh, you know, uh, to to 
make sure that we know that there was no reason that uh, for him to feel like his life his life was in danger that he needed to protect himself uh with arms and you know we've seen that uh, across the country where this has been the case where police feel really confident about the body camera footage uh there was a, a very unfortunate incident where a teenager was shot by the police a while ago right after the George Floyd verdict and there was some uh uh, there was some folks that were uh, really, really upset about that, and they really quickly, I mean, the same day, released the body camera footage and showed that when she was shot, she had uh, a knife in her hands lunging towards the chest of another child. And now, you know, look, we can talk about whether or not uh, they should have used a taser or whether there were some other ways to uh, to subdue her without shooting her. But, like, they were very confident that the, that the body camera footage was going to exonerate them in the court of public opinion, and by and large it did. And so, you know, if the Madison police feel uh, as confident as that, why not show us the body camera footage? What is the use of having body cameras if we're not going to if if we're not going to be able to use them? I mean, it just it just doesn't make sense. And, you know, there, there's a lot of like, oh, well, look, he had a gun. That's all I need to see. And, 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 you know, frankly, for me, I need to see more. I need to see that the police were not intentionally escalating uh, to the point where he felt like the only way that he could get out of there alive was to have a gun, uh, was to was to uh, threaten with arms uh, at police who were threatening them. And, you know, like. Maybe may, it, it's possible. I suppose it's within in, within the realm of possibility that he shouldn't have had his gun out, or that or that he did have a gun. Maybe he didn't have a gun. But you know, I cannot for the life of me understand why you wouldn't want the body camera footage out there if it exonerates you. Right, right. And then you know, after after police have you know pulled your wife and daughter out of the car, if you do have a gun, you know, it seems like that might be you know a little bit agitating and. Right. Why, why was that even, why, why was, why did it even come to that to begin with? You know, how can we prevent it even getting close to that situation? I think we have to challenge the fact that not everybody is an enemy, you know, to them. I think that they look at, you know, if you're, if you, if you have an older car or if you live in a certain, you know, zip code, of course, or, you know, you're a certain color uh, you, you, you're looked at as a, as a, t- a potential enemy. And, mm-hmm. and I've talked to cops about this. And one of the things that they've explained is uh, they look at your clothes and see if you have an, in a print like in your pocket. And so therefore it gives them justification to treat you as a hostile person. And that has to change. You know, it all has to change. And I think uh, we just have to keep challenging them, challenging them all the time. And if there's any way that we can, it, what we were talking about before, they're all uh, the, the, the city council and city government is all about image, you know. Mm-hmm. And as long as they can keep talking about how we are bad people, you know, nothing's going to change until we get enough people together and talk about them as being bad people, you know, and and the press is not going to do it. They're in bed with the police department. You know, they're so embedded with the police departments, it's pathetic. 
You know, when they want information, where do they go? To the cops, you know? And uh, I just think that somehow, you know, we have to do what we're doing here, you know, to try to get this information out. Um, but it has to do with image. I think it all has to do with the image of this city, you know, as this being a perfect city. And I think that we have to start, not, we can't stop attacking, you know, these people that run the city. And I think that once you get, uh, you know, once you get enough people together, I think it can make some kind of a change, or at least that's what I'm hoping. I think so. And I, I really think that um, change is inevitable. It can't continue this way. You know, you can see the vestiges of slavery all over Huntsville. You can still see the same attitudes that would have allowed some people to own other people. You know, they, they've, they've been carried down and, and they're still, they still exist. There's still um, plenty of, there's still slavery. I mean, we, we lock people up here for in Hunts in Alabama, I think we have the fifth highest prison rate in the in the world because America has the highest prison rates of anywhere. But we are so we're the fifth, and we're like we're either the fifth or sixth, and then we're either fifth or sixth in poverty too. So um, I saw a presentation a couple of years ago done by Alabama Appleseed, and they they said something that really struck me. It's like is that because Alabamians are inherently lazy or criminal minded? You know, do we have all these people in prison deservedly because we're bad people who like, you know, like being poor and don't like to work and want to do crimes, you know, or is it because of policies that were put in place to actually, you know, keep people down to criminalize poverty is a huge thing here. Um, you know, you you can get locked up for just not being able to pay certain fines. And it's this this snowballing effect that, you know, can really ruin your life. And and it's amazing how, you know, we can't get, make any. Pro well, we, we've made a little bit of progress, I guess, in, in our marijuana laws. But that's one of the huge ways that that we're perpetuating slavery here. We're locking people up for that. And. You know, it's it's this big business here. And I wish that that the people in Alabama that are making money off of the prison industrial complex could get creative and like make money off of legal weed instead and stop locking people up for it. That's my dream. I don't know. I think we'll be the last state that actually does that. But like you don't actually have to keep getting richer off of enslaving people. You can, you know, find find other ways, please. Yeah, there are. Um, uh, it was another. It was an Alabama Appleseed report. Perhaps it was even the same one that I read that showed that uh, black folks in Huntsville are eleven times more likely to be arrested for marijuana possession than white folks in Huntsville. And study after study have shown ha has shown that uh, white folks and black folks. Uh, you know, smoke marijuana at roughly the same rate. Uh, certainly, there's not an 11 fold difference uh, between usage of marijuana between white folks and black folks. I mean, it just does not. It does not make sense. And, you know, I've been told, uh, I have been assured by my betters that, oh, well, we don't actually lock up people in prison for a simple marijuana possession anymore. And it's like, well, uh, let's let's even stipulate that. 
I mean, we do. There are people in prison for marijuana in Alabama. Uh, granted, it's not as many as it used to be, and it certainly isn't a very large portion of the population, of the prison population. But let's stipulate that. Let's say that we don't keep anybody in jail for long periods of time because of, uh, because of marijuana. Even just an arrest being on your record, even if you don't spend jail time, even if you just get a probation on your record, that in and of itself is going to create lots of hurdles for you to go through uh, that you have to overcome that other people do not have to simply for possession of marijuana. I mean, the 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 onerous uh, the onerousness the f- uh, the fines the court fees that you have to pay uh, is is ridiculous, and that is something that ensures recidiv- recidivism rates stay high in the state of Alabama and stay high all across the country. I mean, uh, it it just does not make sense to have marijuana be something that you could even be fined for, uh, much less arrested and much less put in jail for. Yeah, and you know, it it serves several purposes for the powers that be because it prevents a lot of people from voting, you know, and luckily those laws are starting to change in some states or they're trying to, but but it's 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 a very real thing. I mean, since the beginning of of, um, the end of slavery, since Reconstruction, you know, trying to prevent certain groups from voting and it's still happening in all different kinds of ways and definitely mass incarceration, especially when it's targeted certain groups of people, you know, it's, it's preventing, it's preventing voting. And, and we do that in so many ways. And there's like that, that issue is something I think we definitely have to tackle gerrymandering and voter suppression is, is, is a very, very real problem that's keeping us here in Alabama it's keeping us so that we're the the sixth poorest state, and it's keeping us so that we can't expand Medicaid and take care of our people, and it's it's causing all these people to to not have their best interests acted on. We have this um, centralization of power in Montgomery, and it's um, it's to our detriment. It's 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 not for the good of most Alabamians. It's for the good of a very select few. Jump in for just a second here. Uh, there were some very powerful things that I think y'all just shared. And, uh, Catherine, I'm sorry if I steal your thunder on this, but I know you and I and, and many others here uh, on this call have been involved with Tennessee Valley Progressive Alliance. And it was, what, years ago when we brought up the marijuana d- disparity and arrest. And we were largely ignored and dismissed. Um they didn't want to address that issue uh, to the extent that they even addressed it. It was basically to say that, oh, well, that's really out of our jurisdiction. We can't change marijuana law at the local level. But, okay, you're doing the arrest at a local level. So, I mean, I think that's that's bizarre to go that route. And uh, a few other things that really resonated with me, uh, the poverty is a criminalized status in this state and in this country and and something we've discussed on our show is that this absolutely is a labor issue and a working class issue because it's working class people uh, particularly black and brown working class people that are targeted by this incarceration and police violence Uh, you know jeff bezos doesn't have to worry about the police harassing him at his house and his neighborhood and you know, this Jeffrey Parker case, Dana Fletcher's case, the protest response, those all, to me, are constitutional questions. We have a lot of people around here who love to tout the Constitution. Uh, right now, they're, they're screaming about their liberty to not wear a mask. And 
you know, by our Constitution, we are supposed to have due process. Where was Dana Fletcher's due process? Where was Jeffrey Parker's due process? You're supposed to be innocent until proven guilty, but yet, you know, apparently uh, our police forces have the authority to execute American citizens arbitrarily without any due process. And that's what they're defending. The very folks who who love the Constitution and and love law and order, that's what they are defending. And, um, you know, hi, something you said that I, I really liked is, you know, conversations like this tonight is a big piece of getting the information to folks, to educate folks, and to build the kind of solidarity that we need to stick together because, you know, these folks are, are clearly not just powerful. They feel unaccountable. They feel like they can get away with this. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, the balls on these people to say what they said after the conviction of William Darby. Mm-hmm. It's one thing to do it before mm-hmm. the conviction, but to go after a jury has convicted this man and to still defend it and to still say this is what we expected of him. You know, this is wow. our training. We train people to do things that are going to get them convicted. Uh, you know, it's just it's uh, the audacity, I think, was pretty shocking. Uh, mm-hmm. Even even for me, who uh, certainly didn't expect much out of those people. Uh, it, it was audacious. And like yeah. you said, hi, it's it's all about bringing people together, uh, bringing everyday people together to sort of educate each other and to look out for one another because we can't depend on the media and we certainly can't depend on our elected officials. Right. And and, and good point. Every extrajudicial killing, that's the right word, is murder because they didn't get due process. If there's no due process, you know, then that's that's murder. There's a there's a whole new movement starting in this country now and and it's going to be uh it's going to be made public here soon and it's called the second rainbow coalition uh in which i'm a part of there's there's groups like the new african black panther party the new era young lords the um american indian movement um uh the the white panthers uh, and there's a number of other groups coming together to form a second rainbow coalition because of exactly what we're talking about. Uh, they're, each of them are going to be a guest on Fireside Chats next month, and I want people, if you could, to come in and, and listen to this. But it's this kind of stuff is happening all over the country. Every one of these organizations uh are witnessing the police doing the same thing in their community, you know? And I think unless we get together, be it under, you know, a banner, it doesn't have to be something this, this radical, which it is, you know, the, the Rainbow Coalition, um, could be under Tennessee Valley Progressive, you know, it could be under anything. But we need to get together under something because I am seeing, and what, what I'm seeing and what I'm seeing in Huntsville is, uh, is, is, is just too many people that do chalk talk. They'll talk about it. It's like chalk. It rains and it goes away. You know, and, and they, they don't really get together on, they're not held together on any issues. So I think what we're doing, even here tonight with 
you know, with the, the Valley Labor Report and trying to form these kinds of coalitions. That's the only way we're going to protect ourselves. We're vulnerable. I mean, they, they can come and get us anytime. You know, yeah. They're, yeah. They, they know who we are. They're planning. You know, we need to plan. They're always yeah. planning. And, and so that anyway, that's my hope that we can do something like that. Yeah, we need to um, get as much national attention as possible, because I do think we're in crisis here. Our leadership, you know, is has shown just like actual like depravity and evil. You know what Tommy Battle and, and McMurray are doing is like it, it's indefensible. And um, what happened after the protest last year, June 1st and June 3rd, you know, I have been a protester here in Huntsville for a while now. And I'm, uh, our citizens are very peaceful, very law abiding in, in all the protests I've ever taken place. And I've never seen anybody vandalize anything, break anything, harm anyone. Um, and it's just remarkable to me that our police force uh, responded with so much unprovoked violence and then got away with it. Nobody is holding them accountable. There is no oversight here. And so we have to get as much national attention as possible because there are no adults in the room. And and I thought that it was very damning when Chief McMurray got on television after June 3rd and he said, he admitted on television that he tear gassed and shot those people, us. I was there because because we had milk and gas masks and... Um, and like protection, things to protect us from their violence, you know, like mm -hmm. I thought, wow, he just said that on TV. That's so damning. He's going to, you know, they're going to oust him for that. Nobody cared. Nobody, you know, like you can't do that. You can't, you can't shoot a bunch of people because they have protective gear on. That seems insane, you know, but, but we bought them all those toys with tax dollars and they have the, the ammo and they have the snipers and and of course you know i feel like when you have all that stuff you kind of wish somebody would and when else are you going to get the opportunity to use that type of crowd control you know those violent tactics if not then i think they i think they were just you know excited to be able to to use their toys and and <clears throat> i am am really disappointed that there hasn't been any backlash to that and that McMurray was able to admit that he did that for the most ridiculous reasons and no one has hold him, held him accountable. I think what he did was criminal. I think what Tommy Battle is doing is very negligent and, and, and evil. I'll say it again. I mean, I used to have more um, faith in our leadership and I used to believe that thing that we like to tell ourselves here in Huntsville that it's kind of a progressive city and it's not like the rest of Alabama, but we're really on some Jim Crow mm -hmm. shit here in a lot of ways. And um, you know, our, our mayor is a prime example, you know, like just really maintaining this, this good old boy status quo and not allowing us to make any progress, not even admitting that we need to make some progress, not even admitting that there's room for improvement. And I get, um, you know, a little um, downhearted when I think about like how, how far we have to go, but I, I try to, you know, put a positive spin on it and that we just have a lot of room for improvement here. And so because we have so much room for improvement, um, we've seen a lot of organizations pop up that are doing a lot of good here. And that helps like fortify me a little bit. And I just want to talk real quick about some of those. I'm not sure how much time we have. 
but um, I want to mention some of the organizations that are doing good. Um, and I want to start with the um, Crystal Raglan Memorial Fund. Crystal Raglan was uh, a combat, an Iraq combat veteran who was murdered by HPD. And um, of course, the, the eyewitness stories don't match the police, what the police said happened. Um, and her family is, is grieving and trying to fight for justice. But what they want more than anything is to make sure that she is, um, you know, that she didn't die in vain and that something good comes out of it. So they want to um, help help someone with a scholarship. And her her sister, Brandy, has done a lot of work. Um, and she works with um, with the uh, Boys and Girls Club and um, wants to help someone with a scholarship so that so that, you know, some good can come out of what happened to Crystal. So that's the organization, the, the Crystal Ragland Memorial Fund. They're starting a 501c3 and, and um, look for them doing a lot of good here just to try to help mitigate some of the damage that's being done by, by our city government. And um, the Dana Fletcher Foundation is doing amazing work. They actually have started um, working with victims and helping with healing, like actual um uh, good for the soul type of events like hiking and yoga and things that these people who have suffered trauma really desperately need. And they, they've joined a coalition and now they're, they, they get together and they help each other deal with all the grief and, and, and make a path forward and how, how they can make things better. And that's an amazing organization that I hope everyone um, can support and still protesting for Dana Fletcher, still on Sundays having four corners and passing out flyers. That's always something that you can do if you want to get involved. Um, and speaking of trauma, the um, Inner Defense Initiative um, is a local organization and they are um, helping trauma victims through bio, uh, what is it called? Um, I, I had to write it down because I knew it, biopsychology. So they, they uh, serve victims of trauma through biopsychology and they're doing a research project that's 100% anonymous and I want to plug them because you can just go to their website and request a kit and they'll send it to you and it's almost like taking a home COVID test that you like prick your finger and send some blood and, and they actually study your bio um, metrics to figure out how trauma has affected you and it doesn't have to just be I mean I think that most of us have suffered some trauma but even if you haven't they need you to participate too because they need a control group as well so um, I, I hope that everybody you know will take a little bit of time to help them because I think that that's really good work and and we all I think are suffering mentally and all of us are only one tragedy away from from being mentally ill if we're not already if we don't suffer from some kind of mental illness we have a, a definite thickness in the culture and something is happening right now with with covid and the political climate and i think that a lot of people are depressed a lot of people are anxious but you know on top of that you can suffer some type of tragedy and just be completely lost and broken mentally so i really want to help shore up mental health services here it's something I'm really, really passionate about. I worked for a long time at the mental health center um, and it was what I felt like was truly my calling. What's sad is that you can't make any money in, in mental health um, unless you have a, you can have a master's degree or a doctorate and then maybe, but as with just a bachelor's degree, it, it was pretty hard to support myself and my son. So I ended up getting sucked into the, uh, the black hole that is Huntsville defense jobs. 
but I would like to get back into mental health. I would like to, to help try to implement programs where first responders, I responded all the time to crisis calls with my clients and I did it without weapons. And it's just such a better environment for everybody. It's safer for everybody. If someone can help people who are in a mental health crisis, who are, who's not some aggro dude with a gun with his hand on the trigger, you know, like that's not what we need. We need actual um, coping skills. We need, we need therapy. We need mental health services for our people and not armed officers. You know, I've had police come to my house. I had a, a foster son who was in crisis and was cutting himself. And one of his friends called the police and they showed three cops showed up with their guns, you know, drawn and yeah. not drawn yeah. right there on them. And it's like, this is, this is very unnecessary for a kid cutting himself and could have gone horribly wrong, you know, could have been, could have been me or my son or, or either of my sons, you know, something could have gone terribly wrong. I just would really like to see the response to mental health crises handled differently. Um, so that's something I hope that we can all work towards. Um, but uh, back to the organizations that are doing a lot of good. I think that um, CCJR is doing amazing work here. Um, the way that they're putting the pressure on city council is, is beautiful. And I think that they're one of the organizations who is actually bringing about some real change here. And I'm so happy to see it. I'm so thankful for you guys and everything that you're doing. And um, uh, Tennessee Valley Progressive Alliance, of course, you know, had a big win getting that monument down, but there's way more that we want to do. Um, there's a new organization called uh, Rocket City Civil Rights, and they're focusing on preserving um, history because, of course, here in Alabama, you know, the state archives, they just came out and admitted that they have been purposely omitting black history and propping up Confederate history. So that's what we have a lot of. So, th so there's a real effort that needs to be made to actually preserve the history here because we have, uh, you know, rich cultural history in Huntsville that needs to be celebrated and it's been mostly hidden. Um, and so not only do we want to learn, we want, we want to learn about what happened, but we want to learn from their methods. How did they peacefully bring about change here in Huntsville? How did they bring about desegregation? Um, and, and we're, and we're still segregated in a lot of ways, you know, there's a, there's a lawsuit called Hereford versus the board of education that started in, I think, 63 still ongoing because we have never desegregated Huntsville schools to the satisfaction of the board of it, or to, to the Department of Justice. So it's not necessarily something that is unique um, to Huntsville because most of America segregated. Um, you know, redlining had a lot to do with that, and there's still a lot of lasting effects from that. But um, but we are under scrutiny because of this lawsuit, and we still haven't been able to do it. We still haven't been able to desegregate our schools. You know, in 2021. So there there is is real tangible inequality. There are lots of metrics that you can see, you know, just like marijuana arrests here. Um, there, just traffic violations, petty infractions like that. You can see where those types of, of tickets are being handed out and the type of people that they're targeting with that type of policing. Um, you can see there, the Department of Justice has done studies on uh, children of color being punished more harshly in schools. There's, um, you know, big disparity in just the resources at the schools in the north side and the south side. So uh, 
I'm kind of getting off the subject. I just want to mention a few more organizations and then I'll take some questions. Um, Underground Protest is a great uh, protest organization here and they um, come with a little bit of spicy civil disobedience and I love it. I'm here for it. And um, if you want to support them, the best way to support them is Huntsville Bail Fund um, because Huntsville Bail Fund has their back. And Huntsville Bail Fund is doing amazing work. Uh, Tahira is really killing it right now. She's got um, lots of big things in the works. And so you'll see them making a lot of noise or see us making a lot of noise because I'm happy to be on the board of Huntsville Bail Fund. Um, of course, Valley Labor Report. I wanna hear more about what you guys are doing and I'm very excited about collaborating with you guys. And who else do we have? Um, oh. Huntsville Human Relations Commission. This is something that not a lot of people know about. The Huntsville City Council has a human relations commission that's supposed to um, take complaints. So if you have issues that you need um, to be elevated to city council, to the mayor, we're supposed to have um, more communication with them and um, be able to uh, host community events um, and just mitigate problems with, with inequality um, here in the city. So that's something that's gonna be ramping up more soon because it's been kind of an inactive organization the past few years and there hasn't been a lot going on, but since, you know, since George Floyd has really sparked a lot more uh, civil unrest and there's, you, you know, you can see a lot of it here. And so that's something that they hope to try to mitigate or, um, find solutions, help find solutions. They, they don't necessarily have power to solve all the problems, but wanna help try to find solutions. So that's um, another organization that NASA can collaborate with. And I think that that would be a mutually beneficial thing. And um, so even though we have a long way to go here, I, I think one of the most important things that we can all do is like report our police our mayor to the Department of Justice, try to get some oversight, try to get some, some people with some sense to, to do something for us here because our leadership is rotten. And, um, and support as many of these organizations as possible. Um, I, I know not, not all support can be financial. There are so many volunteer opportunities. I'm so excited about the Automotive Free Clinic, which is, is it next weekend or the weekend after that? On the 21st. 21st, which is a really, really great event for this community and hopefully something that we can continue to do. But if anybody wants to volunteer, we could still use more volunteers. And I think, um, and even if you can't volunteer this time, there'll be more opportunities because I think that this is something that will really help. And, and what did you say, high sur survival programs? Yeah, it's a survival, we call it survival programs because you know, they are survival programs. People need that because without a car, some people just can't survive. They can't get to their jobs. You know, they can't get to their jobs. They, they lose their apartment. You know, they get out on the street. Sometimes they lose their kids because of it. And it's just a vicious circle. So we started the Automotive Free Clinic um, and we will be having our first uh clinic on the 21st at the uh what is it the new new freedom um new futures future uh homeless uh shelter 
to be fixing people's cars, and changing oil, that kind of thing. We want to do it every month. Uh, we got a shop in Hazel, Hazel Green that really sponsors it. Uh, also, uh, there's an uh, upcoming event on the 29th, and uh, that's going to be a blues to bluegrass. Courtney, are you on? Uh, anyway. Uh, well, have, sorry, it, it blocked out. <laughs> it blacked out. I couldn't yeah. hear you. What was your question? <laughs> uh, we were just talking about the blues to bluegrass uh, benefit coming up. Can you explain that a little bit? Yes. So um, the trauma study that Catherine was talking about is actually from Little Orange Fish. So they are planning on using that study and they're um, uh, working with UAH and a lot of brilliant minds um, to to use that to better bridge for prevention and better treatment of PTSD. So they're actually leading that here in Huntsville, which is fantastic. Um, and I had the privilege of um, um, meeting Daniel Adamak a few years ago at their um, North Alabama Mental Health Coalition. And um, but yeah, so we are benefiting them uh, August 29th from 1 to 9 p.m. And we have collected a whole group of local musicians that are also very passionate about mental health and well-being and and funding for for that type of quality life here in Huntsville. Um, they do a, a couple more uh, things like they help, you know, tools for teachers to help them with the mental health uh, kits and tools to, to help the students, which is really important to even start that in, in public schools. And it can make a fantastic change with that as well. Um, so Daniel's just done an amazing job, and uh, we're here to support him and all the work that he does. And so we're hoping um, people will show up via, you know, live stream or or at the events, safe. And, um, and uh, yeah, so we've got QR codes and links where it'll be a lot easier to donate as well. Um, so I'm really excited about it. It's at the stove house. Yes, at the stove house. I'm sorry. The most important part is at the venue. And I'll be at stove house. You know. Thanks, <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. and, and one more time, date and time. Oh, sorry. Uh, Sunday, 29th at 1, um, 1 p.m. to 9 p.m. Awesome. Good deal. I'll be there. Come and hear some music. And it's, you know, it's like nine different groups, I think. And it's going to be a fantastic show. A good lineup. Yeah. You guys do a good job with the blues to bluegrass lineups. I like it. Yeah, it, it is musicians and others getting involved in the community, you know, to help, you know, noble causes. Uh, they don't charge for it. You know, they they want to come out and do it. So. But uh, I think. I have a question. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was brought up the idea of embarrassment being a motivating factor and maybe getting the uh, mayor and HPD to respond. And I think that uh, that's a really smart uh, tactic, but I'm unsure of um, who to enlist to embarrass them. Like I know how you said, is democracy now you wrote to 
Yes. And I know that the Rosa Parks Committee um, petitioned the DOJ to investigate the police department. So I'm just wondering if anybody has any ideas of who to reach out to to get a more a bigger stage, a uh, bigger spotlight on uh, Darby and gestation. I mean, it wouldn't be beyond somebody like John Oliver. You know, that's the type of thing he could if he, you know, saw the story. He might want to talk about it for a second. Um, it's worth a shot. Who else? Um, yeah, what I would, Catherine, what I would suggest is uh, if we could get enough people together to to just maybe sign a petition, a recommendation uh, that something be done here and send it in, you know, send it to Democracy Now! or John Alder. I think, I think the numbers speak for themselves. Uh, there's a number of different ways that you can embarrass uh, a person if they are involved in you know, chamber, or if they're involved in rotary or whatever, uh, we we used to just go right into those meetings and embarrass them. Uh, we'd also go right, right into their church and embarrass them with, in front of their their fellow Christians. I like uh, that. And, now and there that, there have been some. We went to Tommy's church. Yeah. As well. Yeah. Yep. I love that. Uh, and that you know they don't like that at all. They don't like being embarrassed and called out in front of their peers, you know, even though their peers know what the hell I'm doing. But mm-hmm. that also maybe sparks a little bit of news media, too. You never know. If somebody was interested in uh, <clears throat> picking this up, it might make it more likely for people with larger platforms to pick up the story and uh, and and make them want to cover it. Um, you know, it would be, I, I think... And this would this would take some amount of time, but maybe uh, creating and editing a video where you have some local news footage uh, narrating what exactly happened, and then you have some local news footage, or maybe a press conference with Tommy Battle, where after the conviction, uh, they're talking about how they're still defending a convicted murderer, and then uh, perhaps playing some of the audio from Dale Jackson's show, where he is shown to be extremely pro-cop, extremely anti-criminal justice reform and then showing his uh him saying that this was a bad move on their part i think that you know that and and i think that that somebody properly skilled could do that in a in a pretty short video make it make it look nice i don't have really the time or the skills to do that but you know that throwing that out into the ether that 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 could be a project that somebody that somebody did if if uh one were to be very interested in in making this happen I like that. Um, I would volunteer my video editing skills um, if I could get some help compiling um, some of those audio clips and video clips. Um, I can uh, edit a video pretty quickly. Yeah, Eli, I can send what I have. um, Just I'll email you whatever I have when you try to get a collection started. That would be great. Also, um, Valley Labor Report, guys. Did I, I believe I've heard you on call into the majority report before. Is that right? I have. Yeah. Oh, um, good. And you were talking about the, the show. They, uh, they sponsor, they're an advertiser on our show as well. Oh, that's uh-huh. awesome. <laughs> I'm a big fan. Um, but uh, you were calling about the, the miners. Is that right? 
Right. Yeah, I've I've called in a few times about the miners and some other stuff, but lately uh, when I call in, it's generally about the miners. Yeah. Okay. Um, would it? Would you be interested in calling in about like this sort of this line of um, discussion? Uh, perhaps I my my general focus it does tend to be pretty uh, union heavy labor centric kind of stuff, but their call in line is open and you know any, anybody can call into their show. Oh, yeah, uh, I guess anybody. Can. Yeah, yeah. I don't. <laughs> yeah, it's not it's not necessarily that I have like a special line. <laughs> so, you know, they uh, uh, sometimes I get in and sometimes I don't. So that's a good point. I just want to jump in and say something real quick, because I think a lot of the things, there's a lot of different groups working towards similar goals, and there's a lot to be said for collaboration. And I think this this meeting is great because there's like at least three, four different groups being represented here. And I think we need more of that to happen to create real change. Um, And my job, we talk a lot about like working in silos and sometimes we do tend to do that. I think there's a lot to be said for having more conversations like these where there's, you know, a few different groups represented um, and just kind of brainstorm and come up with ideas like this. I think that, I don't know. I think a lot could come from that. Yeah, I agree. I agree. We need all hands on deck. We all have to work together. And there are so many people that are apathetic, you know, we each one has to reach one and like try to get somebody who has been ignoring everything and just. Mm -hmm. (sighs) Yeah, it's really good. Coalitions make make things easier and make it make it easier to work. One example of coalitions of of potentially are ostensibly unlikely coalitions working is is the uh the battle for blair mountain uh we talked to the author of of a book by that title uh dr chuck keeney up in west virginia uh the blair mountain was the site of an armed struggle by uh union coal miners and uh local police and federal agents and uh that site has been neglected and uh and, and you know is not really accessible to the public and there was an attempt not too long ago to slate that for uh for strip mining and mountaintop removal and just completely do away with the whole site which is insane because this is you know there are not very many uh you know like uh um, you know, armed battles between civilians and uh, and and police and security forces in the country, and uh, to to actually just eradicate this site is insane and so uh what they did in order to make them not do that was the union coal miners got together with environmentalist groups and uh they they staged marches staged rallies petitions and things like that you know i mean these are you know i mean these are these are west virginia coal miners right these are not socialists (laughs) or 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 uh you know green party activists i think that goes without saying uh but they were able to make common cause where they could with these more or, uh, you know, maybe lefty environmentalist groups and were able to save a site that was important to both groups for different reasons, but important nonetheless and important for the cultural heritage and and the, uh, you know, the livability of our country moving forward. And I think that sh- that's a that's a good testament to, you know, working together, um, coalition building and, and the usefulness of that as as a project and as a means to an end. 
And, you know, um, one of the things that I would like for us to try to work on is Medicare for all. Um, I think that we pretend here that like it's just not possible or I've heard people, you know, make the argument that it just wouldn't work here. I think that's like defeatist thinking. If we we should believe in it, it's very possible. Everybody else has it. It's the right thing to do. What we do is not the right way. It's, um, you know, illogical. It's expensive. We, we are, are really hurting our own citizens with, with these policies in place and these vampiric insurance companies who have who are interjected into the process who just suck money out of it and add no value. It's, it's, it's so dumb. We don't have to do it like that. It's very stupid and I can't stand it. It makes me so angry to think of people dying because they can't afford medication. It makes me angry. Even people with insurance should be angry. I, I had a miscarriage last year, got billed $4,000 out of pocket after my insurance supposedly paid the procedure, you know, a DNC doesn't cost that. But then like I pay a hundred dollars every month. My company pays on top of that every month. I have no other, you know, medical expenses yet, you know, $4,000. It's just ridiculous. It's got to change. We, I really, really, really want to try to get some stuff started. If anybody's got some good ideas, I would like to make that a focus in the coming year. Yeah, you know, I, I really I really like what's happening here tonight. And I think Natalie uh, voiced it with all these different groups here. Um, well, where do we go from here? I mean, I, I don't want it to be just, you know, a fireside chat, you know, where, and I call chalk talk. Write it on the, you know, you, you write it down on the sidewalk and it rains and it's gone. And uh, and I'd really like to see something come out of this. You know, if we are actually talking about trying to embarrass, you know, the, the city officials, or if we're trying to get more press coverage, then we, we need to do it. And we need to, I don't care if it's a letter, you know, that's signed by all these different organizations or individuals or whatever. But we at least need to make a an attempt at it. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that's that's what happens a lot of times. Uh, there there will be protests, there will be meetings, but then you know, two weeks from then nobody remembers it. And um, and I really think that you know, if people want to try to get together again, anyone here, we can get together and talk about it. You know, if nothing comes out about it, of it, that's fine. But at least we can make an attempt to do it. And that, that would be my proposal, you know, and to bring some other people in. Is it going to be, could we do a petition? Could we do, and they're talking about the video, which is excellent. But we yeah. need... This is a great group of people. Maybe we should, is it, is COVID too unsafe for us to get together for like a, a beer drinking planning thing? I feel like that would all get That's our me. creative juices flowing. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I, I would be down with it. I'm a party uh, activist. Yeah. Let's. Yeah. Outside, it would be, it would be yeah. safe, you know. Outside, yeah. There's plenty yeah. of places we can go sit outside. I would be, I, I would really, I would really like that, honestly. So. Are there any, uh, 
this is Rena's, by the way. Are there any low-hanging fruit? Like, is there anything that we can tackle within a short range of time? Because mm-hmm. I think what I think in a lot of cases, I mean, this issue is so big. I'm sorry for the background. It, the issue is so big and it's so systemic that is, it's we all see it. We all see all of these different issues. But as far as like the low hanging, it's like is is there any low hanging? Like is the embarrassment, is that something that we can kind of turn the corner on and, and pivot on and, and put to bed or at least complete? Because I know there's just so much when it comes to this this line of work for us. There's so many systems that need our attention. And I also feel like from the CCJR perspective, because we have to continue having these conversations, like we can't, I don't know that I don't know, Angela, you can speak up if you want to for that. Like, I don't know about an embarrassment campaign. Maybe, I don't know, because we, we still have, we're still trying to have conversations, but we've been having conversations for over a year. So it's now, now maybe it is time for that. I don't know. Maybe I would, a, um, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh. Oh, sorry. <laughs> go, you go, you go. <laughs> I just want to say I liked the demonstration a couple of weeks ago. Several of the families of people who were slain by HPD and MPD got together and went to the city council meetings and raised a ruckus. And the best part was uh, Bill, the poet who always talks in city council meetings. He he finished his poem. And then in the end, he said, say their names. And all the families stood up and started shouting their people's names. It was a little bit chaotic, but Bill immediately put his uh, legal observer hat on, which I thought was hilarious. Cause it's like, I feel like that should be the international symbol of when it's about to go down is when Bill puts his legal observer hat on. And um, that at least, so I feel like in different forms, disrupting city council to where that just gets old, like different people have to do it. Um, and, and and go cause a ruckus. Bring the ruckus to city council. Get kicked out. That's, that's <laughs> what happens when they ban public often. comment from city council because they're already trying to do that. They They've already pushed public comments to the very end of the meetings. And I, I want to say, um, I think that protest strategic not say, um, strategically planned protests where we have um, mothers of the movement being arrested and or escorted out of meetings um, where the attention is on the mothers who suffered a loss, I don't, um, whatever that looks like, would definitely go viral. I also think that we could come up with a campaign over the next so many days that escalates over time, even if we're talking about showing up at ribbon cuttings and things of that nature, because the city is just trying to keep us in one little box where the people who would be appalled by what's going on don't see it. So I think we have to think outside of the box on how to, quote unquote, embarrass them and get in their spaces. Because as long as they can keep us isolated in this little bubble where certain people don't watch or whatever, I think that they feel like they're safe. But I even think like reaching out to Colorado about the Space Force. I mean, we have we have some leverage, but it's going to take a, a it is going to take a 
collaborative effort because one group doing it by themselves isn't going to have the impact of three or four groups working together at the same thing. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, I like that. Uh, Do we need to cover like, like title for the group that covers all the organizations? Back in the day, what did they call themselves? The um, the public the public service committee. Uh, my grandfather and and uh, like John Cashin and all of them had the public service committee, and they strategized and they came up with the boycotts and and I think I think what it's going to be like financial. I think that's the only way you it's it's hard to affect change without hurting somebody's pockets, and but it's yeah. really hard to figure out who's. <clears throat> pockets to hurt it's like i want to like not support places like campus 805 and stovehouse because i know that those are like tommy battle sweetheart deals and it's his friends making all the money but you know those are fun places to go too so um knowing who to who to hurt economically is even is like delaying out. delaying construction and things of that nature because we know that they make the money on the development of the land so when the, by the time the actual brick and mortar comes they've already made their money and off to the next deal so even if like i mean i've had so many ideas like the, like we, they were talking about the budget meeting there are three paving com- road paving companies well, why is that? Like, do we need to be one of their contractors? You know what I'm saying? I don't know. Like, there's so many ways, places we can insert ourselves, even if it talk, if it means clogging the planning commission meetings with 50 comments or what have you to, to make those meetings long and miserable. Like, we have to think outside of the box. Yeah. And anybody can attend the um, the mental health commission meetings, too. But they're at a weird time, like in the middle of the day. But anybody can go to those and help advocate for more mental health services, which is something I recommend we all do. That might be a place to kind of show our asses, too. But I I, I still suggest that we need to get together and, and formulate a plan. Yeah. You know, plan the work and work the plan. Um, because. We need to put it down on paper, I guess, and figure out what we want to do. All these are just fantastic, beautiful ideas. But I think we have to go looking for the fight. Because if they keep bringing the fight to us, they're always going to win. But once they realize we're bringing the fight to them, then things might change a little bit. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Just to answer Rim, Rimilus, how do you pronounce your name? I'm sorry. Mr. Bowden? Okay. Remus so, Bowden. Okay. Okay. Yeah, sorry, yeah. it's just Remus. Remus for short. Uh, Remus. Okay. Yeah, that's me. Thank you. Um, so um, I, I noticed that... Um, First of all, like my mental health was uh, almost, I want to say my biggest motivator other than going through a lot of struggles in my life, but overcoming that with like taking care of myself and especially my mental health. I went from apathetic, not caring, piece of shit, human being 
like being a part of the problem to, oh my gosh, like I'm looking at everything wrong. I'm doing everything wrong because like I'm like slowly starting to heal up from my trauma and my past. Right. And, um, and then also, you know, uh, during those times, it's easier to lie to yourself. And I think a lot of that we don't realize is what's also going on in other people's lives where, you know, they they don't care because of their trauma. Yeah. And I'm just saying yeah. this from my, you know, my experiences, but as yeah. a human yeah. condition, you know what I'm saying? And so like to change the narrative to like, okay, people want to talk out of fear instead of out of their own experiences. And so, like, they start absorbing the toxic talk and the on-repeat, you know, stuff that doesn't get down to the truth of the matter. And so when you start talking about experiences with people and listening to their experiences it changes the perspective and i'm i'm saying this from like like just earlier today i was talking to a guy who was on ramble or bumble or ramble i think it was and uh you know they talk about you know whatever like one side talks about one thing another side talks about other thing different of opinions and stuff like that but I think it's like it's it's a psychological thing at the same time, but also uh, leading by example, you know what I'm saying, is is a powerful thing. And I think that starts with our own inner healing and kind of leading the way through that. It's it's not a short it's not a short thing, but it's something we can do today, like, you know, for each one of us, like you know, make sure that we're on a good path too and to kind of lead people out of that bad like perspective and to actually care about one another. And when something bad happens, you want to defeat that bad, not not be a part of it or defend the bad, like, you know what I'm saying? So yeah. it's um, a little bit of a luxury to have the emotional bandwidth to even worry about other people's problems or things that aren't immediately affecting you when all kinds of bad things are affecting you. So I hear exactly what you're saying. And, and I think that does lead to a lot of apathy. You know, it's only so much you can, can deal with and it gets overwhelming mm -hmm. taking on the weight of the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And our, our mental health is so important. And I think we're all suffering right now. These are hard times. I've never seen so many people. I mean, I've never personally been so anxious. I always, carried my stress in my spine, you know, I have a bad back and kind of proud of, prided myself on having a, a strong, you know, mental health, having strong mental health. But right now, I'm like, unmotivated, hard to concentrate, foggy brained, just not doing great. And I think that I'm not alone. And I, I you know, need, need some tribe, you need some community to help, like, help me through it. We all need each other. Yeah, I, I still want to get back to the point of maybe getting together and putting together a, a statement of unity, maybe, you know. Well, perhaps um, if, if there's someone who, and there are probably groups who are not represented here today who would be uh, interested in, in joining a coalition to, to make some progress on, on, on these issues, you know, specifically policing, 
uh, racial justice. Yeah. 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 I've got a whole list of, I know we have some people that are already collaborating with NASA and then I've got this whole other list of organizations that, that would definitely work with us and support us and we can cross promote. I've always wanted to make like a calendar of all the upcoming events in Huntsville and, and, cross-promote and have a NASA calendar, a TVPA calendar. It could be the same thing, you know, but different ways that people can get involved and be connected and, and keep actively working towards a better, a better city, a better world. Don't want to plan a, you know, an in-person outdoor event in a way, but like inviting a couple of people from each organization to kind of come and, just, just yeah. talk it out and see yeah. see what happens. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Let's brainstorm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that, I think I think it's the only way it's going to get done. So, who wants to do this? Uh, of course, that's that's the next issue. Is who wants to contact the other people? Do we get together as a small group and put together an outline first? suggestions, put together a letter, you know, that type of thing. Um, it might not work if you got all 10 people out there talking to, talking to the organizations, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, well, yeah, I would be, I would be done to get together. Um, I think maybe we can all just, you know, work on ideas you know, be thinking about ideas individually. And when we get together, you know, write some stuff down and kind of coalesce a little bit. Yeah. What kind of timeline y'all thinking? We're going to go ahead and uh, we're going to go ahead and cut the stream while we start planning. But we've enjoyed the uh, uh, we've enjoyed this. And and for y'all tuning in on on YouTube, thanks for listening. And if you're interested in joining the uh, in in joining, the uh, you know, um, the event that uh, the school for organizers is going to be planning, you know, uh, follow them on social media, follow us on social media. We'll be sure to share that, uh, whatever they come up with and, um, and yeah, make sure that you support their work. I think that they're doing, uh, some, some really good stuff and, uh, keep up with them and, and help them however you can. So, uh, thank y'all for letting us be a part. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks.